Let's go over there and shake hands, smile, hug their neck. Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. I like this kind of party, baby. This is Hour 3 of Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson on the WRAD Talk Network. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. You know what that means? Do you? We're underdog. We're mutts. My number one play is the power sweep. If you only knew the power of the dark side... for the Big Dog Sports Talk Power Hour. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Why can't you see what you do After the hour, hour three underway. The white Vic comes up a little bit later. Six three nine forty nine hundred. Text lines open as well at seven four four twenty nine ninety. A little bit of light rain falling outside right now. That's about it. Uh, Pulaski County Schools and Floyd County, though, they've called it a day. They're both closed. <clears throat> All right, so I was sent this by one of our listeners, by the way. I didn't know this was going on. Um, with Radford Bobcats Football Stadium. One of the best places to take in a high school football game on a Friday night. Um, apparently... A decision was made by outgoing board members to replace the concrete that's become kind of synonymous with the entire atmosphere of the stadium with aluminum bleachers taking the concrete out, citing erosion and so forth. Now, it has nothing to do with the current board. They didn't get a chance to vote on this. So, so the outgoing board members want to tear down the concrete at Bobcat Stadium? Really? And just get rid of all that history and what it means instead of just maybe repairing the concrete. Because, you know, aluminum always works in the weather. Has any fan ever gone to a game and sat into an aluminum seating and said, boy, this is great. (laughs) Not only does it really accentuate the comfort of my lower back, but, boy, it just, it looks so good. (laughs) Yeah, don't. Don't follow through with this. Let's 
come up with a, a reasonable – can somebody respect a little bit of tradition in history? That stadium opened, what, 19 – late 60s? When I was calling Radford High School football games. I mean, I've been very fortunate. Um, called games for really four of the local schools here, right? Pulaski County. Radford for a long time, did Christiansburg for a year, did Blacksburg. Old Bill Brown Stadium, I know it's gone. I loved Old Bill Brown Stadium over in Blacksburg. Man, that was a fun facility with Dave Christ. Kenneth J. Dobson Stadium, always going to hold my heart. Is my favorite place to be. Being an alum, having walked down those stairs, having watched so many great players before and after me. I wasn't a great player, but just saying. And Radford Bobcats Stadium, Norman Lindbergh, that whole aura around where that stadium sits and that concrete, and you want to take out the concrete, or the outgoing board wants to take out the concrete and put aluminum bleachers. I've said it once, I'll say it again. You give... Human beings, the opportunity to make a bad decision, then 97% of the time, they're going to make a bad decision. Let's hope, let's hope another decision is made to counter this one. But anyway, thanks for the note. I didn't know that was going on, but it is a very important community-related thing. And I'm sure it affects a lot of people who have a lot of wonderful memories and owe a lot of their whole lives to their experience down at Radford High School. And in particular, that football program and that stadium. I mean, some places are so intertwined with the community. They're not just stadiums. Now, sometimes you have no choice. Sometimes you have to, something's dilapidated or needs to be expanded even, and you get support behind it to celebrate whatever it may be. That's a little different. But this place is a historic site, a historic venue. It's not just some cluster of seats in a press box. Radford Bobcat Stadium is a special place. The man who made it special, Norman Lindeberg, still resides in that stadium, right, when you go down there. And I've told this story before, but when I was calling games for Radford, that was actually the first full-time football gig that I had was Radford High School football. I did that for seven, eight years, something like that, right out of college at old WRAD, the old white building here on the hill, right before you cross the bridge. It's no longer there. Ray Hatley was the owner of the Hatley family. Remember Mr. Hatley? Ann Dix. J.J. Largen worked there. That's where I met J.J., the great engineer. Some good people there. And those days spent with Coach Lindenberg never were just about the interview. AMAC has told similar stories. Yeah, we would do the interview, but there was always a, a conversation with Coach. He was genuinely concerned about how you were doing, and we would inevitably most days end up wandering around Bobcat Stadium, <laughs> Right? And looking around and him telling stories and just soaking it all. And then we'd just go sit in the home side bleachers. About seven 
or eight rows from the you know the field level and just sun would be out but it wasn't too hot and we'd just talk about and he'd be telling me stories about players and plays and he'd be pointing out on the empty field you know he'd be pointing over here he would remember exactly where it was sometimes maybe it was the 32 yard line sometimes whatever and whenever I'd go into that press box and do games it's it was just a special special thing and it, it is a special place. And I hope people um, respect that going forward. I think there can be a happy medium. Let's, just, let's don't destroy everything for the sake of just, you know, whatever it might be. Special times, though. And those of you that listen, you played. I mean, how special is it? You know, former players that go up to Kenneth J. Dobson Stadium. I mean, it's, it's just it, – it makes you feel – you just get this – it's, it's a comfort. I don't know. It's a warmness. It's like a, a warm blanket wrapped around you. It really is. We have a lot of good ones. I miss, I miss Bill Brown Stadium. I, I know Blacksburg needed to upgrade. You know, they had the new school site. I get it. You know, I understand. It wasn't going to hold up. But, man, there were some nice games over there throughout the history as well. So much fun over there. Same thing with Christiansburg. They needed an upgrade. I get it, man. And the new places are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm just talking about these in particular. Floyd County, that stadium where it sits in there, Narrows, Giles, my goodness gracious, the Red Wave up in Parisburg. I mean, you drive into that area, you drive up to that stadium, I mean, you immediately, hey, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Giles County, man. I'm getting ready to go watch the Spartans, right? I mean, you just the stadiums are. You hear about the bigger ballparks, baseball stadiums being cathedrals. We have cathedrals with our high school football stadiums, I think, here in the New River Valley, regardless of where you're from. George Witt, any of these places that you have. Salem Stadium even, right? It's an iconic place, man. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And just reading this, I don't know anything about it, but to me, the image of just seeing things being knocked down because maybe they need repair just to put aluminum in there doesn't seem like it's doing that cathedral showing any kind of proper respect, right? But that's just me. 639-4900. Speaking of Radford, your. Radford University Highlanders win their eighth straight last night. It was a rock fight, but that's fine. This personality of this team, they can win games like that. doesn't matter. They don't care. <laughs> they prefer to go out have a game won by 20 points, but that's not going to be their M.O. going forward at all. At all. So, be proud of them. Come see us on Saturday, 2 o'clock. Winthrop, who's playing really well. Winthrop beat Longwood. You know, since Radford beat Longwood, they've lost two subsequent games. The defending champs are on a three-game losing skit. And the Highlanders, come see them, man. They deserve your attention. And not only because they're winning, which they are, but it's the kind of people that are running that program and the players involved in that program, much like what Mike Young has at Tech. You know there's a good man (laughs) in the head coach. 
department. We have good men here locally. You won't see a finer guy, meet a finer guy than Mike Young. I was so close with his dad, Bob Young, and he's just like, it's scary. You won't find a better young coach, better guy, genuine person than Darius Nichols and his brother Shane. They're Radford people. Mike Young's a local guy. That's why, right? They appreciate where they are. That's why these programs, you want them to do well so badly because of the kind of folks they are. I think Brent Pry's that way. I really do. Comes across that way. I don't know Coach Pry personally, anyway. We've had him on the show a couple times. I'm just saying he just comes across the same way. Good people that you want to win, surrounded by also the fact that they do their jobs really well, is a nice bonus. We're very fortunate. Not a lot of, not a lot of uh, Division One college basketball programs within 20 minutes of one another have native sons, if you will, leading the way like we have um, with Virginia Tech and Radford, and both, by the way, from Radford, uh, the city of Radford. Bobcat pride showing through for both. But uh, Tech's got a big one, obviously. Nooner against Virginia, and then Radford plays it too. It's a big, big Saturday, my goodness. And like I said, Tech really needs to pull that one off on Saturday after the loss to Miami. Sure, they're capable of doing it. No question about it. Absolutely, they can beat Virginia on Saturday. And the thing about it, Virginia knows that too. <laughs> Trust me. Tony Bennett knows what it's like playing up here at the castle. The White Vic coming up in about 15 minutes. We hope you're doing okay, wherever you might be. As we roll along here on this Thursday edition, stay with us. Don't go away. And frankly, we've heard enough. Now shut that door and get the hell out of here. The grown-ups are talking, so sit down and listen. That's right. Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson returns next on the WRAD Talk Network. Four minutes past the hour here on this Thursday. Working without a net, I feel like, today. About an hour and a half of sleep. Long ride from Clinton last night. Thanks to Chad Hyatt for manning the wheel. I dozed for a little while off and on, but you feel every bump in those school vans. <laughs> Chad blaring uh, music, singing the whole time. He lulled me to sleep. Good stuff. <laughs> uh... Not a lot happening in Clinton, I'll tell you that. Clinton, South Carolina, not a lot going on there. Not a budding metropolis. And then you play in that building, which they've really let go. The lighting was so bad. The officials actually had a conversation about it before the game. It was so dark in there last night. and Nobody was there other than the two teams that sat behind me that did not show up on the TV cameras. They were filming the other way. 
And it was the football team, some of the players, and most of the baseball team, and that was it. Maybe women's soccer, something like that. But They were there, but they didn't make any noise. There was no noise. That game was a two-point game with about two minutes to go, and there was no noise coming from the crowd whatsoever. So Radford had to muster up their own want-to, their own giddy-up, and they got it done with win number eight in a row. And what's more impressive, that's five straight road wins. And I, I can't wrap my arms around that and explain to you how difficult that is enough to get five conference road wins in a row. And there have been some tough venues. It's not all PC and upstate. I mean, they got that win against Gardner-Webb. That was enormous. Went down to Winthrop. Two of the tougher places to play. Got those wins. I mean, it's just so hard to win at either one of those places. By the way, Gardner-Webb and Winthrop playing very well now. Shocker, huh? Not at all. Winthrop comes to town on Saturday. They've won three in a row. They just beat Longwood last night at the buzzer, racing a 19-point second-half deficit. You're doing some work there when you erase a 19-point second-half deficit. A lot of good side stories there. Tech, UVA, Hokies need a win. It's a must-win. David Till agreed. They have to win. They want to have any hopes whatsoever of salvaging a run in the regular season instead of having to wait for maybe another ACC tournament championship to make the NCAA, it has to start Saturday or they're going to be out of time. They're not quite out of time. They'll be out of time if that one gets away from them. I don't think there's going to be anything they can do after that that's going to put them back on a legitimate bubble watch. Could have won the game. Really, in a lot of ways, I won't say should have, but they were in a position to win that game against Miami on, um, was that Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday. And then they've got UVA coming in. UVA is likely going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Maybe. Definitely going to probably be the number one seed in the ACC tournament. Got to beat them. Home floor. Can't lose that game. Can't lose it. I know they're really good, but Tech can match up and do some things as well. Did you see Pitt last night knocked off Carolina by one in ACC action in case you missed it? Carolina's just not right. They played better for a while. They looked like they were going to be okay, but they're just not quite there, are they? And really, they haven't been. And we've had enough people who cover this sport that know a lot more about it than I do that feel like maybe Carolina getting paid has affected them. Big win for Pitt. Pitt now 6-2 and two on the road. They're now half game ahead of Carolina in the standings. Louisville. How about Louisville? How bad's Georgia Tech? Louisville got just their third win of the season. They beat the Ramblin' Rex 68-58. And NC State, Kevin Keats' squad continues to roll. Win number 18, 8-4 in the ACC. They crushed Florida State 94-66. Tech has Florida State, Georgia Tech, and Louisville coming up on its future schedule, which is why this game's so imperative. Should win all three of those, but that's not going to do anything in terms of the committee and or your rankings. I mean, you're going to drop when you play those teams because they're so bad. So 
This is the opportunity they have to grab a hold of on Saturday. It's a sold-out Castle Coliseum. Guess what? We're going to have a pair of tickets tomorrow to give away. Huh? Yeah, see what we do there. Also for the Radford game. Dwight Vick joins us. Our final segment on a Thursday. When we come back. Remember, our own Puxatani Field. Jim and Smithfield did not see his shadow, which means... Springtime will soon be upon us. Stay with us. I'm Frank Beamer, and you're listening to Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson. 25 minutes before the top of the hour, thanks to Andy Bitter and all the great interaction with you, our listening audience. Text message lines always open 744-2990. Joining us now on the program, founder of Victory Life. He's got three podcasts, including one with his cousin Mike Vick. All-conference lineman at Virginia Tech and our go-to guy, I mean, for the pulse of Virginia Tech football nation. His name is Dwight Vick. DB, how are you? Good morning, my friend. Good morning, man. It's good to be back on. Good to have you. And uh, let, let me get that pulse from you right now. I, I, you know, we talked with Andy. He talked with Coach Pry. I mean, he's got the same um, energy, the momentum he feels like is building. Where are you right now? Right now, going into year two, I know we don't know about the roster yet. We haven't gotten to the spring. Battles are going to be won. We don't know about the transfers. Or the, but, I mean, how are you feeling now as opposed to watching the losses last year and, and, and year one with the new staff going into year two as he's able to retain that whole staff? Well, that's a good question. I think for me, um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um it's more so um, a wait and see, though. Like, um, it, I, first of all, me and many uh, former players, I definitely feel like Pry is the right guy. I mean, you know, I, I went back and reviewed some games. They they lost a lot of close games, um, and I said the last several, uh, several the last few years, uh, even going back to the Fuente area, that the players at Virginia Tech don't, didn't know how to win. They didn't understand how to close the game. Um, there's some pieces there, and I love I love what they're bringing in. I think their recruiting class, Caleb Woodson um, and Breland Johnson, are guys that you are going to build around cornerstone pieces um, to secure and keep some of those guys in the, in the threshold to come in. Are critical, but you know I saw the schedule um, in years past. I remember I would be so like, okay, what game am I going to get to, or what game is going to be a good matchup. Um, with this new ACC or returning to the old ACC where they just play a straight schedule, no more divisions, um, I'm okay with that. Um, I'm in favor of that. It's just that I think right now the program just needs, um, if I'm being critical, um, other than the excitement or the euphoria we have around the potential this program can get back to, I think it needs – uh, what is the word looking for? A staple. Someone mm-hmm. that's, hey, we, we need something, um, a piece, a player. Not so much that he might not be in the program right now, but I think if you look at Virginia Tech, 
in years past during their glory years or during a really good season, there were a couple of players or a player you knew was going to carry them or a player you couldn't wait to see. And it's not I'm just not referring to a Michael Vick. I'm referring to um even a Brian Randall or Brandon Orr or um, you know, a Macho Harris. Um we need playmakers. We need players that are going to attract us to say, you know what, I can't wait to see how we're going to handle. I mean, it could have been even collective effort. I remember <clears throat> the excitement I had going into the 2005 season. Um, you know, you look at the receivers they had, and you say, wow, you know, after 2004 winning the ACC, you know, with these guys coming back, you know, Josh Morgan and Justin Harper and, 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 and Hyman and Eddie Roy were mm-hmm. like, hey, these receivers, I can't wait to see because now they're going to be in year two. Well, right now when I look at Virginia Tech football, um, you know, you saw King is transferring, um, which I, you know, I'll go on record. I love the kids' potential, but um, reliability was a question mark, and injury prone is a label. So, I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, a guy like I was even going to be eager to see him because you got to be healthy, you got to be on the field. So. Right now, offensively, and even to some degree defensively, there's some players there, but I'm ready for them to step up so I can be eager as a fan, not that as an analyst and a guy that comes on the different shows like yourselves. I'm curious to see who is going to take this program as far as leadership, playmaking ability, to make the fans excited again, if that makes sense. No, it really does. And listen to you say that, you're exactly right. Throughout the history of all the success, whether it was one or two guys or somebody did represent that, didn't they? I mean, whether it was accurate or not, whether it was a Macho Harris, whoever it might have been, Xavier Deby, whatever. I mean, you're right. It, it doesn't seem like that guy's there. I guess maybe Dax was the one guy who showed up last year, but I don't know if he had the same vibe with the fan base. But you're right. That representation of, of getting it right and doing it the right way one guy can kind of resemble that and bring everybody else on board. Yeah, and I love Dax, but I think over the years, I felt like he was there forever. Um, I think he became more of an emotional leader. And I respect the heck out of guys like Dax mm-hmm. and Trey Turner because they stayed in the program when a lot of times it was a dumpster fire or there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, so I, re- I will always go down respecting Dax. Even guys like Brummeister who – played injured, who was playing out of position, who put the team on his back some games. I mean, he was the size of, a, you know, a toddler playing quarterback, but he played hard. He's a, he was a very good athlete. But, you know, what I'm referring to, like you just described, <clears throat> excuse me, Rick, is just playmakers, just guys that um, aren't just tweeting about this, but like, you know, a household name. You know, we need some players. And, again, I believe they could be on the roster right now or they could be on the way um, in the recruiting class. But we need some guys that stand out because, you know, the schedule set. Um, Prod's got his first class under his belt. I think I love the transfer portal guys coming in. I've been very, very adamant about this staff. I think it's a good staff. And, again, there were five games they should have won or could have won in the last final minutes. So, I, you know, when you lose close games, you know, you saw the Beamer documentary. He went through the exact same thing, um, you know, as he began to make this program ascend. So that's not foreign when you're building a program when you have close losses. But I just think right now, as far as the, the pulse of the fan base, I feel like, <clears throat> you know, you have all the different podcasters and everybody on Twitter 
uh, dissecting the schedule and, and talking about, you know, what could be. Um, but I think right now for me, it's like, who are we going to be? Right. I, I think you're exactly right. As uh, Dwight Vick joins us on the program, and I get the same vibe about Coach Pry. I really do. I, I don't know. I, I know they have to go out and do it, but he has he has been steadfastly consistent. And that's what I look for, Dwight. You know, sometimes guys they have it uh, in terms of the field results. So you kind of just whatever happens happens. But I really do believe that that consistency that he always parlays, like he did in that article with Andy is something that means a whole lot. I think fans appreciate it, too. Yeah, well, again, I've been consistent um, and, and, and very, very uh, so big supporter, loyal to Pride. I've been, I've been on the Pride bandwagon the moment we brought him in. Um, and, of course, you know how I feel about J.C. and Pearson and, you know, Coach DJ. I think the coaches are there. Um, and you saw it. Um, you know, look. I am not about to sit on your show and celebrate a three and seven season right, or whatever. Right. However, however, I think you saw it down the stretch and they went on the road. Look, Liberty is not going to turn the heads like maybe a very highly ranked Florida State team or Miami if they're ranked or Clemson. However, Liberty, even though they knew Hugh Freeze was on his way out. I still think Liberty wanted to win that football game based on what I saw. I felt like Liberty, um, you could argue, was clearly a better team than Virginia Tech last year. But yet, Virginia Tech went down there with, if you look at the grand scheme of things, you can say nothing to play for. But they played that game um, with energy. I thought the offense was innovative. Um, They ran the ball extremely well, and they played with emotion. And that is what I think you saw prior. I think that was a – it wasn't a signature win, but I think it was a snapshot of what you're going to see with Coach Pryor and his teams, where they were physical, they were aggressive, they made plays, and they set the tone offensively and defensively. And that that right there was a great way to end the season. Obviously, we all wanted the UVA game, but given what happened with that, continue to keep those those guys in that program as far as in prayer, you know, but um, – UVA game didn't need to happen. So we don't know what could have been. They could have won that game. Um, and I felt they could have. But from a football standpoint, you saw what they could be as a program, they being Virginia Tech when they beat Liberty. But, um, you know, again, you know, they had the Georgia Tech game one. Um, and to me, if you go back, and I encourage all your fans, if you DVR the game, you can go on YouTube and watch many of the games from last season. I saw the young talent. And I'm not even trying to throw shade because I don't do that. I just say it like it is. Mm-hmm. The redshirt freshmen and sophomores were the ones making plays for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, number 21, the redshirt freshman linebacker for Virginia Tech. I mean, he had a phenomenal game against Georgia Tech and Liberty down the stretch this season. So the young cornerback, the freshman. Um, again, I feel like those guys are coming in like, hey, man, I'm not, I wasn't here for that other nonsense, but I want to make something happen. So – I don't think, and I've said this too, and I've gone on record on your show, Virginia Tech is not far off as some fans may think. We're four years away because, respectfully, the ACC is not four years away. The ACC is very winnable. Clemson, Dabo is still a phenomenal coach, a great recruiter, but if you're being honest about where they are right now, they got loads of talent, but they haven't been able to replace a generational talent in Trevor Lawrence. UNC has a future NFL quarterback at pro, but you saw – um, 
you know, losing Dre Blah was a huge loss. They're going to take a dip in recruiting because I'm not sure Dre had the secondary right, but he had the talent right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, again, UNC has shown that they can win and perform with Mac Brown. I mean, he was there when I was playing. But, again, I don't know how many years he has left. This is a young man's game, whether it be playing or coaching. I can go through the whole conference. Miami has been telling us they're going to get back for the last 17 years and nothing's happened. So, I mean, obviously, I can go through everybody else. Pittsburgh, I respect the heck out of Narduzzi. But, again, I mean, that's a program I think Virginia Tech can beat. So, I'm not saying that we're so close, but I'm not going to sit here on your show and say we're so far away. I just think right now the culture has to continue to build in the right way. Again, if I'm being frank, I know we're months away from the kickoff of the season. The biggest question mark I have for this program is the quarterback position. And Wells, I saw flashes. I saw it at ODU. I saw other games. You know, that game on the road at NC State, he was phenomenal. But at the same time, I'm still waiting for the quarterback position because if you go through the last true playmaker they had at quarterback was um, the kid uh, that left and declared early, the the dual-threat kid, the Juco transfer um, that Fuente brought in. Mm -hmm. Since then, it's been a carousel of quarterbacks. So um, that's going to be critical for me if you want to know the prognosis of this team, who is going to be our playmaker at quarterback. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I know people get all excited over the bright, new, shining toy, right? Everybody looks at the drones kid who hasn't had much experience, and he's immediately going to be the guy. Well... Do you really want that, or do you want your coaching staff to go with that guy, be able to go anyway, if he beats him out, to go with that guy, Grant Wells, who you brought in, to be the guy to kind of implement your program? You're committed to him, right? I mean, you're right. You can't be changing quarterbacks every year, I don't think, and have the kind of consistency that that you need. that's, That's my opinion about it. No, I agree. And the quarterback I was referring to, the last real playmaker was Gerard Evans. Right, but, right. You know, and he, you know, you already know his story. Left prematurely, but it was his choice. Didn't pan out. Um, and, you know, but he for that for that year, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, since then, you know, you had, you know, Brummeister and, you know, her, uh, the kid, uh, you just said, I can't remember them all. You know, Willis, Ryan Willis, who showed flashes. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Jackson. I mean, it's been a lot of guys, but, you know, Grant Wells is in that, that same mode right now who, like, you know, can win you a game but lose you a game. And it's, I know it's not all on him, the O-line, receivers. I mean, you know, we don't – we got to get playmakers at receivers. But I think ultimately, if you look at – let's just look at Virginia Tech because you can do this with any program. I just mentioned Clemson, how they're still trying to recover with – um, losing Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. When you yeah. have a quarterback in college football, you have a team. Because Wake Forest, if you took their personnel, good, solid three-star players, some even two-stars who have developed and matured, but they had a quarterback who was elite. So it kind of put them over the edge. Carolina has talent, but may put them over the edge mm-hmm. where they're a 9-10 win, 8-win team at least. And right now, this is not putting pressure on Grant Wells, but ultimately, you know, he has to take that next step this spring if he's going to be the guy. But somebody has to step up and put this team in position to be, uh, you know, reputable, reliable, relevant, all the R's you can think of, responsible. Yes. <laughs> well, we got to get yes. right there, man. But I think Prod knows that because he was part of some great Penn State teams, and I obviously me and him were there when this whole thing started in the 90s. So I'm sure him and um, – the coaches know this, 
They just have to get it in front of the fans so we can believe in it. I, I believe in it, but I'm one person. I know my voice carries weight, but ultimately the fan base has to believe it. It's a good schedule, winnable schedule. Um, I think um, this spring it'll be a, it's probably going to be one of the more important springs in Virginia Tech football history as far as taking that next step. And I know the spring game is not the true evaluator, but I'm going to be looking at personnel like, okay, is this guy going to be a deep threat? Is this O-line going to be able to protect? Because the second group of O-line last year, the spring game, the quarterback is running for his life. So these are the small things that fans may not pay attention to, but that's what's on my radar. All right. Well, it's a great conversation, man. It really is. I could talk to you about this all day, basically. But uh, we're running out of time, so what we'll do is we'll pick it up next week. And uh, a lot of the uh, listeners want to get into some of your um, historical memories. When you were here, some of the interactions. I was just talking about how coaches like to talk about specific games and plays. Maybe we'll get into that some. I'd like to get some of the things that stand out for you that maybe fans didn't get to see or things they don't think about when they watch during that era when you were helping to continue usher in this revolution of tech football? Oh, man, a lot of love and a lot of pain. Um, the Syracuse game and other games that we won and lost. Yes. I mean, it goes both ways. Yes. And there's, there's always great combos. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I always appreciate coming on, man. All right, well, you're terrific. I appreciate you. And, listen, have a great weekend, man, and uh, we will talk again next week. Too. All right, there you go. That's Dwight Vick. Yeah, we'll get into that. And peeps have been saying, hey, can Dwight just talk about some things that he experienced and some stories? Yeah, those are great things, man. And I think he'll be very passionate about it, too, when uh, he gets into it. All right, we're coming back to wrap up. Well, heck, we're wrapping up the show. Hey, I got through it. You can't tell. Well, you can tell a little bit I haven't had two hours of sleep, right? <laughs> we'll be back. started correctly with the finest sports talk known to all mankind. Pretty good. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. Big Dog Sports Talk returns next on WRAD. All right, we're wrapping it up here on a Thursday. Thanks to Andy Bitter, Dwight Vick, Jen, and Mike Ashley tomorrow. Maybe some other stuff going on. By the way, in case you missed it, the uh, terrific former general manager of the Washington Redskins, Bobby Beathard, passed away. Football mastermind. He and that era of Redskin football with Joe Gibbs, Jack Kent Cook, my goodness. He passed away yesterday. And by the way, we're now fully supporting Stanton Island Chuck. I didn't know that was a thing. Another groundhog who, like our very own Smithfield Jim, did not see his shadow today. By the way, how predictable was it that they were going to announce that Puxatani Phil once again saw his shadow? It's the same thing every year. Six more weeks of winter. <laughs> That's what the calendar says. We don't want to counter that. Well, Stanton Island Chuck says, yeah, you want your six more weeks of winter? Don't come look at my house. Besides, Stanton Island Chuck is a much better name. I mean, it sounds like a gangster name for a groundhog, doesn't it? Mafia ties with Stanton Island Chuck. Don't mess with him. I'll take his prediction over Puxatani Phil. <laughs> All right. Everybody, enjoy your day. Sorry. <laughs> like asleep catching up with me. We'll see you tomorrow on the Finally Friday edition. Take care, everybody.
us here at News Center 4. I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, New River Valley.